Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken with Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, based on the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. We're back today in chapter 15, and last week we were finishing up with the first council of the church, the Jerusalem council, and a decision had been made that they were going to take back to the Gentiles in Antioch. Uh, this was actually the first of, of many church consuls um, that were called by the church to help settle disputes. In fact, today, one of the opportunities will see how this led to other consuls and other issues that were attempted to be settled by a gathering of, of leaders in, in the church. So, for a quick review, Paul and Barnabas concluded their first missionary journey. They were sent out about a year and a half before this from Antioch, and they were on the road. They were commissioned in Antioch to go out and be able to, to preach the gospel. Uh, they went to the area of Galatia, what we know now as modern-day Turkey. Uh, they would travel to a town, speak first at the Jewish synagogue, and they'd have an initial positive reaction uh, from the Jews, um, but then a much better reaction from the Gentiles. And because of that, possibly because of that, they tended to be then rejected by the Jews, who would not only reject them, but try to eject them from the town. Paul was actually stoned once and left for dead, but as the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and actually went back into the city. Now, Paul and Barnabas traveled back through the same cities they had visited earlier. They strengthened the believers, the Bible says. They anointed uh, elders um, and leaders uh, in order for continuity uh, and leadership in these uh, churches. And then they went back to Antioch, their home church, and they reported all the things that God had done, and the signs and the wonders, and the people rejoiced. They were so happy of the great success that Paul and Barnabas had had. But then... It says, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, these are supposed believers, believers in Jesus as the Messiah, but some doubt their authenticity. Uh, they were definitely Pharisees. They insisted that the Gentiles become Jewish first and observe all of the laws of the Jews. Now, this, of course, was contrary to what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching. So the church in Antioch decided to send Paul and Barnabas along with a small delegation back to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles to be able to settle the issue once and for all. Now last week we, we heard the decision. And the decision was that the apostles didn't want to trouble, I use that word, trouble the Gentiles any further. In fact, the word circumcision wasn't even mentioned, but they were asked to not insult their Jewish brothers and sisters by, and then they asked, were asked to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Uh, now this is where we ended up last week. We explained that the practice of these pagan cities was for people to bring in animals uh, into the pagan temples uh, to be killed for sacrifice. And of course these, these gods of gold and silver and stone weren't able to to have any of the meat, so the priests of the temple took it to the marketplace and it was sold. 
Well, over, over centuries, the Jewish people had, had decided that they couldn't even get close uh, to that meat. If they touched it, uh, they would be unclean. So uh, the instruction was to abstain from, from this meat and also a couple other dietary laws. Now the thing was, is this was the law of love that was in action, not the law of Moses. Uh, these two requests that were related to food were Jewish dietary requirements. And the Jewish law required that animals be dealt with humanely. That was out of Leviticus chapter 7 verse 26, which says, You shall not eat any blood, whether that of fowl or of beast, in any of your, any of your dwellings. So now you're, you're caught up. You can catch up with the rest of us, and we're going to dive right back in to Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own to company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter to them the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we've heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such command. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. So this letter is from the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and that includes most of the apostles, including Peter, and we saw James, the brother of the Lord, who was, who was leading the group. And notice in this letter they mention very clearly why they are writing to this church in Antioch. Verse 20, 27 said, We heard that some, that's the Judaizers, who went out from us, who were not sent by us, I'm just adding that, but that's what it means, they went out from us, have troubled you with unsettling words, and said, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such command. Now, circumcision wasn't an issue with the apostles. They didn't send these Judaizers. They didn't approve of the delegation that went to Antioch. They never gave such instructions. And they made sure that the church at Antioch knew it. Not only does the church in Antioch now know, but it's recorded in the Bible. And we all know. In fact, did you know that the estimate of how many Bibles have been published is somewhere between two and a half and five billion Bibles. So the letter provides the same four requests. Uh, conservative commentators are pretty much in agreement that the wording no, no greater burden meant that these Gentiles should consider themselves under no obligation to the conventions of the Jews except for the sensitivity, again, to this law of love. So, that, as, so as to preserve the fellowship between Jew and Gentile. They were brothers in Christ. And the apostles wanted to make sure that they preserve this, this fellowship. Now, we've covered three of the four requests, things offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled. We still need to discuss briefly 
the request to abstain from sexual immorality. You know, it's interesting that this issue, sexual immorality, it's never really gone out of style. We no longer have the issue of things offered to idols from blood or from things strangled. I've been a pastor for about 20 years and for years before that as an elder and a deacon and a leader in many churches and, and not once has these three, three things, things offered to idols from blood and from things strangled, ever come up in a congregational meeting. Nobody had any questions about those. However, that's not the case when it comes to sexual immorality. In this verse, as well as, as much of the New Testament, uh, the Greek word that is translated as sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. Uh, this word is also translated sometimes as fornication, adultery, whoredom, and prostitution. Now, of course, as soon as I mention the word pornea, we immediately know where this, that this is where we get the English word pornography. First of all, we have to say God is, is not against sex. Sexuality is God's design. In the beginning, it says that God made them male and female. The Bible is clear that sex was created to be enjoyed between one man and one woman who are in a committed marital relationship. The Bible is actually silent on many of the things that we have dreamed up that are included now in what is considered sexual. Uh, the Bible is not silent, however, on, on homosexuality and regards and regardless of popular opinion or the laws of the state, the Bible clearly and consistently declares that homosexual or same-sex activity is a sin. Now it's important to differentiate between homosexual behavior um, and same-sex inclinations or attractions. You see, temptation is not a sin. Any two people engaging in sexual relations outside of marriage, however, is sinful. But the Bible never says it's a sin to be tempted. Temptation is manageable with God's help. So let's move on. Now interestingly, this Council of Jerusalem was not the first, um, it was the first but not the last of many, many church councils. The Catholic Church puts much stock in church councils. However, since the Protestant Reformation, what I call the Protestant Revival, most Protestant groups, particularly the Evangelicals, have looked to the Bible as the final word when it comes to any issue that comes up. Now, when it comes to church councils, there's only a couple that are really worth mentioning, and I'm going to limit my comments to just one today. For the first 300 years, the church went through a number of periods where persecution was, was very harsh. Many Christians were martyred, many leaders of the church, including apostles and elders and presbyters and bishops, as well as many brand new believers, um, were killed. They were thrown to the lions, to wild dogs, they were crucified, they were lit on fire or used as, as torches. Now history tells us that the transformation from a persecuted church to actually the Church of Rome, the official church of the Roman Empire, took about 70 years beginning in the 4th century. According to legend, the Emperor Constantine, whose mother Helena, or Helena was a Christian, looked up into the sky just prior to a battle and he sees a, a cross in the sky along with the words in this sign conquer. Now Constantine won the battle and, become the sole, and became the sole ruler, the sole Caesar of the entire empire. As a result of this event, Christianity or Constantine embraced or at least 
favored Christianity. He officially ended persecution and wanted Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. However, he was alarmed by the number of disputes, the schisms, and even heresies that existed in the church at the time. So it was Constantine that called the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, considered to be one of the greatest councils of the church, and it's called the First Ecumenical Council. Now both Constantine and the bishops that assembled had a number of, of key objectives in Nicaea. The first was to end the schisms. The second was a decision on the controversial teachings of a priest named Arius, from which we have the teaching called Arianism. And the third was ultimately to achieve peace and, and harmony and unity within both the church as well as the empire. Now, the thing is, is the bishops easily, when they got together, they had Constantine there, they had the, the Caesar, they had the Roman Caesar, the guy that was ultimately in charge. And they could have created a definitive document that clearly defined and embraced all of the various teachings, the canons, the sacraments, the doctrines of the church that were sometimes up in the air. Uh, some churches were following certain things and other churches were following other things. But they surprised the people at the time and most scholars today by carefully crafting a short creed that summarized what it meant to be a Christian. Since that time, nearly 1700 years later, this Nicene Creed has been the litmus test for what we consider orthodox. Not orthodox as, a, as in Eastern Orthodoxy, but orthodox from the Greek word meaning orthos, meaning ruler or straight or correct. Here in its entirety is the Nicene Creed, and I'll throw it up on the screen for you as well. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now this creed is what we are to believe. Whether you're Catholic, Orthodox, Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, uh, Baptist, Lutheran, all Christian churches can embrace this same creed. There's only 35 lines in the, word, in the, in the creed, a total of just 226 words. And 60, almost two-thirds of all of the words are specifically about Jesus Christ. In the creed, we state our belief in His oneness with the Father, His virgin birth, His death for our sins, His resurrection from the dead, and His second coming. 
Now, there's no mention in the Nicene Creed of the bishops, the pastors, the priests. There's not one word on the governing authority of the church, whether it's a pope, a bishop, or a deacon board. There are no words regarding mass or worship in any particular way or any special liturgies. There's only one line that actually refers to the church, and that's the line that says we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That word Catholic, by the way, means universal. So we started this conversation off by talking about what the Gentiles didn't have to believe. This is what we have to believe. These 226 words of the Nicene Creed. So let's continue. Verse 30 says this, it says, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for all time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. Now news didn't travel very fast back in those days. There was no telegram, no telephone, no internet. So it's likely that this was the first time some of the Gentiles in Antioch had heard the news is when this official letter was actually read to them. The scripture mentions Judas and Silas as prophets. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the Apostle Paul said God gave the church these five. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Uh, many, many scholars refer to this as the five-fold ministry. Today in many of our churches we have evangelists, shepherds, that's pastors and teachers, but not too many apostles and prophets. Now there are some churches that acknowledge the role of both. They acknowledge the role of apostles, now, typically, the apostle is considered to be a foundational leader, um, often a person that leads other pastors, other churches. Um, regarding prophets, while many churches don't recognize the office of prophet today, I have friends uh, that are called prophets. Occasionally, you may hear them say, thus says the Lord. However, whenever or whatever these prophets say, it has to align perfectly with what the Bible also says. Now on the other hand, the other side of the coin, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 20, Paul says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. So let's finish up our lesson today with the final comments from Dr. Luke. Verse 34, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with, with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to, by, to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, the church in Antioch had many gifted leaders. Now, that's a, that's a rare commodity. Um, and often it's through conflict that excess leadership finds waves to move out. 
from the home church, and this is what we actually see happening here. Paul expresses the opinion that they should now see, they should go back to the, to the churches they had visited and strengthen them. These new believers are, are doing that. He says, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how things are going. Now, Paul and Barnabas were the team that we saw in this chapter. They were sent out together. They're both extremely capable leaders, both apostles in their own right. And a conflict ensues. It's not a big conflict because we say, see later in this book of Acts that Paul came to minister with John Mark and found him very valuable. Remember, it was this John Mark that's talked about here that ends up going with Barnabas that actually wrote the gospel that we call the Gospel of Mark. So this issue is not a doctrinal issue. It's, it's a, not an issue related to the gospel, but it's a personality issue. It's an interpersonal issue. And it was resolved. And how it was resolved? Well, they, they parted ways. Paul, accompanied by Silas, and Barnabas, accompanied by Mark, split. Each going out in different areas of ministry or different locations. Now, later, Paul would encourage us strongly to keep the unity of our faith and the, and the acknowledgement of the Son of God. Not every leader can work with every other strong leader. But even in our differences, we acknowledge that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.